0: Shake. HBO needs to fire you. You don't know sh- boxing. You ain't broke my back. What do you mean by that? Your back is broken. What, a uh, uh, vertebrae or, or what oh. portion? Spinal. In yeah, my prime, I spanked him. Yeah, how are you gonna don't be as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, don't I could've beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how easy <laughs> that was. And he better than us? Are you serious, James? If you want to sort it out, fight me. You didn't fight me. You could have fought me and you didn't. If you want to fight me, here I am. Let's have a fight. Let's do it on the cobbles if you want. Forget boxing. Let's do it outside. You are starting to say all these big words. I'm starting to take it as disrespect. So, another British boxer gets to world level and is revealed to be nowhere near world level. (laughs) There was a time when this used to surprise me. I've just accepted now that a lot of British guys are near the world level and will probably never get there. And it's worth just reminding people what world level is. World level is the ability to win a world championship and defend it against mandatory and voluntary alike without losing that belt. I mean, you've got to get to at least five defences of a belt before we can call you world level. Because a lot of guys get there and they get there through politicking and so forth, but when they get there, they get outclassed and exposed. Um, We saw it with Pulev. I think with Callum Smith, we saw it to an extent that must have surprised all of us. And it must have surprised all of us because Callum Smith had every advantage going into that fight and yet spent 12 rounds seemingly oblivious to who he was and what he was capable of. So I happily think back to you know, two, three years ago, when we we had like a dozen world champions, if anyone remembers that 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 halcyon period when we were talking about British boxing being the best in the world, and why can't the Americans win world titles, and you know, all these guys Frampton had a belt, uh, DeGale had a belt, Short Groves at that point had a belt, and we were praising British boxing and we, we were slapping ourselves on the back as if we were doing something right, and then all of a sudden we're in twenty twenty and. It doesn't seem anyone's capable of getting us back to that point. You might put Billy Joe as an exception, but we still can't say that 100%. So, my, so when I sit down and I really break it down, and I go, is this something that's been waiting to happen for a long time? And I think it is. Or is this just a, a lull in ability? And I think it's a mixture of the two. I think there are two elements at play here. So, two things have happened across British and Irish boxing that I think have put us in this position. And I think the first one is the slow demise of the old school trainers. I don't mean in terms of death, but they've just sort of stepped away from the sport. You know, guys like Jimmy Tibbs aren't as active in the gyms as they used to be. You know, guys like Billy Graham aren't as active as they used to be. And whether you want to believe the the British upright boxing style is aesthetically pleasing or effective, at least have the people teaching it who really understand it. I think what you've got now is people caught between many styles and they don't understand any of these styles. So you'll see people with the Mayweather Mitt work, they'll really understand the philosophy behind it and then they'll try and merge that with a bit of Mexican approach and a bit of Cuban, this, Cuban, that without really understanding what the hell they're doing but it all looks good on Instagram and it gets to your PT clients and it gets you attention and it gets you on, on those dead boxing channels like you, you know the ones and it gets you on all of those because you're getting views you're getting views on social media but you're not really teaching your fights or anything and that's what's being manufactured at the moment just poorly manufactured boxers and you can't I don't even know I feel sorry for, the, for these guys And I think Joe Gallagher sort of caught between generations. He's not quite old school, but he's not quite new school, which is why his guys will dominate at British level. And then they get to world level where you've still got the wily old veterans like, you know, the elder Reynoso, I think it's Eddie. And you've still got guys floating around there. You know, Verge is still there. Mayweather Senior is still around. You know, you've got some old veterans are still sharing knowledge Don Turner if you pay him enough you can pick his brain um, I talk about Milton Lacroix and I think he's one of the more innovative trainers but he's also steeped in a lot of tradition we don't have that here at the moment we're we're struggling we're struggling to to build a coaching network that retains the knowledge of the past and embraces a lot of the good stuff that's happening in the sport now so we're going to have this mediocre period for a long time until we find coaches prepared to learn the proper way. And I don't know when that's going to happen. So into this mess basically steps Callum Smith. And Callum Smith is now the, the lightning rod of all of these things. Because a few weeks ago it was Anthony Yard, wasn't it? Where people were like, he's just a hoax. But if you really strip it down, Callum Smith and Anthony Yard have fought many of the same opponents. Uh, you know, for example that Norbert Shikeshis that Martin Theobald absolutely hates you know that's an example of a of a shared opponent and there's many down Callum's list that Anthonyton Yard went on to fight so you start to draw that conclusion that they were they were just fixing him up to flip him you know like like when Sarah Beanie does a property show and she spends three grand in the kitchen and puts the house price up by twenty grand and it doesn't make any sense to you does it but it's a quick flip right get in get your money get out. And that's that's essentially what they're doing with Callum Smith. It never looked for one second like they were investing in him as a serious world title contender and a guy who could progress to the Hall of Fame. But you imagine coming from a boxing family like Canelo, starting the sport young like Canelo, being the youngest in the family. So being able to tap into that knowledge and wisdom like Canelo, you'd have thought all of these things would set him up for greatness and Somehow it's all gone wrong. So I watched the fight. And I always believe the end is in the beginning, right? How you start is essentially how you finish. This myth that you grow into a fight, I don't necessarily buy into it. I just don't see it. Your opponent may drop off more than you expect, but you don't grow into a fight. They tend to fall off, and then the gap tends to close. Now, if you go back to that first round... Callum Smith wasn't trying to establish authority with his jab. That worried me from the beginning. When you're a 6'3", 6'4", super mid, you should be using that jab to hurt, to punish and to intimidate. You know, watch the haters come out when I say this. You look at someone like Umar Sadiq, he doesn't play around with his jab. He's not looking to pour it. He's not looking to make it friendly. The jab's going straight in your face, your nose, your eyes to say Hi. Welcome to the fight. I'm Umar Sadiq and tonight I will be taking you all around this ring. That's what taller guys do in a fight. They establish that kind of psychological edge. And I don't think he did that. And in contrast, Canelo did. Canelo just just was a ramrod jab. It was was reminiscent of how Tyson used to jab people where it was a full-blooded jab and it said, I know you've got longer arms, but this jab is going to hurt just as much. And so he was able to do that. And what Canelo did was... He sussed out pretty quick in the first round and a half. He sussed out that Callum Smith would give him a second between combinations. And in that second, he could launch an attack. But what he was doing, if you watch as he was stalking, he was coming behind a high guard. And now people will say, well, that's what Joe Gallagher teaches. True. But watch what Canelo does with his high guard. It's not static. So yes, the arms are up. But his arms are always in play to to deflect, to nullify, not just to block. He's looking to make subtle changes in your position so you can't let the whole combination go. He, he disrupts even with his defence. And that's a skill that not many British fighters have. And I think the only guys I've seen do it are guys trained by Glenn Rhodes where they realise that defence is a dynamic art. It's not as so static as hold your hands up and wait for the storm to subside. So with that high guard and using it dynamically, Canelo was always able to take an inch or two. And suddenly he'd go from being out of range to being in range. And once he was in, two or three shots, maybe more. And Callum didn't have an answer to this, didn't have it in him to hold, didn't have it in him to, to nullify, nothing. He couldn't even be proactive. Canelo was proactive in this, faints, you know, just shuffling with the feet. You know, People say, "Ah, Canelo closed the ring down. Not necessarily. He didn't have to. Callum was moving in straight lines. There was nothing to close down apart from the distance, which he did masterfully. So just pause for one second and just really think about where you're at, right? You're two rounds into a fight and you're Callum Smith. And in your head, you're saying to yourself, for the last few years, I've done nothing but speak to Liam about Canelo, knowing that at some point I may have to face him. Our team know Canelo better than anyone else. Joe Gallagher admitted it. He 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 did his research. He did all of his observation. There's nothing that he could have done more, is what he has been saying post-fight, right? So how did they get how did they get it so wrong with a six foot three guy who he hasn't got amazing power, but he hits hard enough to hurt you. And how were they unable to do this? Like what happened in camp? Who do they have in camp? Because They got it horribly, horribly wrong. You know, Callum Smith was looking for the ropes. He had the tight guard, which meant that he wasn't really able to counter the way he'd want to. He wasn't able to take the sting out the shots. And that might be part of the reason why, you know, he had the bicep injury. I don't know. Like, we can only speculate at this point. But Canelo was smart enough to keep hitting the target area. Arms, chest, shoulders, ribs, solar plexus, chin, neck, whatever he was... He was hitting everything and they were all heavy shots. And so you could see Callum Smith going, I don't think this is going to stop. Because for every 10 moves, effective moves Canelo was making, and an effective move is anything that makes your opponent react. For every 10 effective moves Canelo was making, Smith was making like four. You can't sustain that level of work rate because you think about it, you're reacting to Canelo 10 times and he's reacting to you four times. That means there's a gap of six that Canelo can maximise to punish you. And that's the difference. Round after round, that catches up with you. And so, you're expecting Joe Gallagher at some point to say, Callum, I think you need to hold the middle of the ring. And you need to hold it behind your jab and maybe a couple of uppercuts. But we might be asking Callum to do something he hasn't really been taught to do. I don't know. You know, it's hard to... To know what happened in camp, because this is one of those times I didn't have anyone who had worked with them in camp. But it does seem that they hadn't prepared the right way. Which is sad, because you'd like to have seen Callum put up a better fight. So you're watching these tactical nuances, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe this is just a classic Gallagher, take a bit of a hiding for six rounds, hope the other guy tires up, then come back. And that rarely works. Like it, it may work against like a Barroso, right? And it may work against guys who, who are not proven at world level. This is Canelo Alvarez. You tried it with Liam Smith. And that didn't work out too good, did it? And you, do what, you just bring out the Gallagher playbook, like I can make my guys fitter than every, everyone else. And I don't even think that's true, to be honest with you. But how many of Joe Gallagher's guys get badly hurt in fights? Crawler. Badly hurt. like that's That knockout by Loma was savage. And you also have to remember, that's the guy that had the the concrete block on his head as well. So what long-term effects does that have? Liam Smith got cut to shreds by Canelo. And now you've got Callum just getting battered from pillar to post. Hopefully, Joe G will have a period of reflection and say, maybe I need to do more because... That defense stuff I'm teaching my guys isn't working at the level I want to operate at, which is world level. It didn't even work for Scott Quigg, for God's sake. He got a broken jaw from Carl Frampton. Like That body count is impressive now in terms of people who've had, not life-changing necessarily, but career-changing injuries. All because of that two-hands-up guard and a lack of desire to teach anything over and above that. You know, but that's for his fighters to question. That's for the guys in the gym to go, I must be able to do more than this. But we circle back around and we talk about things that Joe got wrong. And this is another time a Gallagher fighter has gone to America and seemingly struggled with the weight. If you remember Paul Smith against Andre Ward, you know he came in overweight and Ward gave him a hiding for being that disrespectful. And then gave him his fine back because Herne had negotiated such a poor purse for him that he, you know, Andre felt sorry. Now I can't go into the full story of that, but I did hear from from the horse's mouth what happened there, and no one has ever asked Eddie, you know, what happened between what the TV companies offered and what Paul Smith earned. Just saying. And so I think Quig had drama trying to make weight when he was either training in the States and came over, but I know Quig had dramas making weight, and that's why Quick had to move up. And now you've got Callum Smith struggling to make weight. I'm not going to say there's something about British boxers in America, but there's something about Joe where I don't think he gets his arrival in the U.S. right. And maybe this is a camp that should have been done in the United States. I don't know. Would that have given Callum a better chance? I don't know, but it would have given him better sparring. And maybe it would have given him the, the shock and the reality check he needed before finding this magnitude. You don't feel like they really invested a lot of money in getting him ready. It feels a bit like a, like a cash-out fight. Like Let's just take the Canelo money, move on, we'll get the rider fight when the crowds are back, and we'll get Billy Joe at some point. You know, it's like they've just got the plan mapped out. You know, Get Callum his money, let him retire with his faculties intact, and he can go back to living his life how he wants. But as boxing fans, that's not what we sign up for. You know, we we give you your purse and so we give you your income as a reward for putting it on the line. Because isn't that what people tell us? You don't know what it's like to step in the ring, risking your life. So don't criticize us. Sorry. The minute you decide not to risk your life, then we should criticize you. When is it allowed? When are, as boxing fans are we allowed to say this ain't good enough? Because it wasn't good enough. He di- it didn't look like he tried. It genuinely looked like Callum just wanted to do the rounds. There was enough in him to go right. I mean, he could have just banged his gloves together, had a little swing, and said, right, let me just try and see if I can disrupt him any which way. None of that. Just, there you go, do your rounds, take your money, go home. But now you've got a seemingly a torn bicep for your troubles, A broken nose, a cut over your eye. What, for a few mil? Well, actually, maybe I'd take that money. But that's your pride. That may be your legacy. That's what people will remember about you. Against a little guy from, like, Guadalajara, Mexico, you got beaten from pillar to post. Wow. Um, Wowzers. That's what we'll remember. But what we'll also remember fondly is that at least Amir Khan went out swinging. And in certain moments in British boxing, we have to pause and just show Amir Khan some respect for being a guy who, who he, life and death, shoots out. And that's what Amir Khan was about. You know, he set about Canelo for ages until Canelo figured out how to get him out there. And that was decisive. But at least Amir Khan had a go and who probably won more rounds against Canelo than a lot of people have, including Callum Smith. But that's what we expect. Like, that's when you can't criticize a guy. When Amir Khan goes out that way, it's hard to criticize him because he showed up with the intent to do something and it, it took an exceptional fighter to do an exceptional thing to stop him. Canelo was literally in third gear for the whole of this fight and... It looked like he could do what he wanted, when he wanted. And that's after 13 months out. That's after a disrupted 2020 for him. So my question comes back to, what preparation did Joe Gallagher put his guy through? Because that wasn't good enough. And it wasn't what you want to see in a fighter. There was just nothing there mentally that said he wanted to be in that ring. And he wanted to win. It was all cursory and it was all kind of like, yeah... I'll just show that I'm having fun here. But it was a level above what Rocky Fielding did. At least it didn't feel like this was a stag do. So credit where credit's due. And I can only hope that Callum got his money because I saw a lot of guys flying around in private jets the last few days. And I'm hoping that didn't come out of Callum Smith's money because he may not get a payday like that again. You know, when he moves on to the Ryder rematch and the Billy Joe fight, he ain't going to make that kind of money. He deserves to. But it comes back to what I said before. You can't become world level in your 20-something fight. Like You prepare for world level before your professional debut. And if you haven't done that, I don't think you close the gap. Now contrast that with Canelo Alvarez, please. Let's, let's take a moment to appreciate what Canelo Alvarez does. Now... There are rumors in boxing that he's a nightmare to deal with. So what, man? You're the you're the cash cow of the division. You're the best pound for pound guy. You're a shooing first ballot Hall of Famer. So what? What you've what you've shown is always ready, always working on your skills. Rarely out of the gym. You don't let the trappings of wealth and success get to you like Andrew Ruiz did. You understand your legacy. You knew the right time to take that first loss was against Mayweather and you did. And you came back stronger and better for it. You came from a family of boxers who seemingly prepared you for greatness from an early age and now we're beginning to see that because it's that perfect balance of we're going to give him lots of fights so he gets good but he's not going to take that much punishment that he's going to be slurring his words at the end of this. And that's what I love about Canelo. Canelo will get 50-something fights in and still look and feel fresh. Because he's been around people who understand boxing and who care enough about the family, not just Canelo, about the family, to put his well-being, his health and his happiness front and centre of everything they do. And just for a sense of perspective, these two men were born in the same year, separated by three months at the most. And yet Canelo has crammed in twice as many fights. And if you look at the last five years, there's no filler. Like Canelo's CV is stacked. At a time when Eddie was looking for the cheapest way to get Callum to world title shot, Canelo and his team were investing. They were investing in his development, understanding that they had a special talent. And the only way you make someone truly special is with that investment, which they're all reaping the rewards of now. That should have been Callum Smith. That could have been Callum Smith. It's disappointing that it's not Callum Smith. 27 fights in, and we look at Karen Smith and go, You lost against Canelo. You beat a one armed George Groves. And then we kind of scratch around and go, Your next best fight's either Hassan and Dam, who's really a blown up middleweight, or Rocky Fielding, who we've never known really how good he is. That's not world class. Like, that's just not good enough. That's not how you develop a fighter. And then you look at that in contrast to Canelo and that development Canelo's had, the guys he's been in the ring with, which you saw in this fight. And what you saw, and I really love this, is Canelo demonstrated, he, he highlighted the most important thing in all aspects of sport. Forget boxing for a second, all aspects of sport. If you set the pace, you will break your opponent eventually if they can't better that cycling you see it in the Tour de France when when the guy just breaks in the mountains and he says to the peloton can you close me down and a lot of times they go nah he's he's too far he's too fast his watts per kilo is too insane we're going to leave this and so they call it breaking the field it's the same in football look at what Liverpool do they break so fast that a defense doesn't have time to reset and get its structure and get comfortable and in that confusion, they score goals. They just flood the box. When the ball comes in, it's normally a Liverpool player on the end of it because they're used to working at that pace. is trying something similar at Leeds. It's the pace and the intensity. It's the same in rugby. When you look at teams like Leinster or Saracens, that pace and intensity is what breaks teams. And it's the same in boxing. Pacquiao made a career of it, as did Mayweather in a different way, though but they force this pace that makes you fight in a way that you haven't prepared for in your training camp. And Canelo did that. Constantly shutting that distance down, making Callum Smith think defensively, making him think retreat, retreat, retreat. More often than he'd ever wanted to. More often than Groves made him. More often than Hassan and Dam made him. More often than Rocky Fielding made him. Do you know what I mean? More often than John Ryder made him. And it was that pace and intensity, which Ryder kind of alluded to, In their fight. But it was that pace and intensity that Callum couldn't live with. And what happens at that point? Not necessarily that you become scared. But you don't trust everything you've been taught because it's not working. And it can't work because you didn't train at this pace. You didn't prepare properly. That's what went wrong. When Canelo showed up and said, I think this fight's about the pace of the fight and the geography of the fight. And what do I mean by geography? Canelo controlled where the exchanges happened. Right? He was clever enough to go, as soon as Callum's against the ropes and he takes that second to put his arms up by his ears, that's when I come in. And I just make sure that I keep him thinking about the sides and I just come up the middle. And I work him. And I work that body because I know he's got a long torso. I'm going to work that body. All these small details that clearly Gallagher's team hadn't thought of. And there you have it. That's what makes someone world level, the small details and the understanding that it's pace above everything else. Khabib showed that against McGregor, that pace, the fact that you're breathing when I want you to breathe, you're working when I want you to work. You're not resting unless I tell you you can rest. I control everything you do in that fight. And that's what Canelo did for 12 rounds. That's what greatness is. Greatness is really about control and dominance, and you saw both of those things on Saturday night. And like I said, remember, both men are 30 years old. So what has Callum Smith been doing with his 30 years in a boxing family that Canelo hasn't been doing, or maybe Canelo did more of in his 30 years on this planet in a boxing family? So we come back to this question of, if they're 30 years old, you know, and, you know, Canelo's fought twice as much. And maybe Callum should be fresher. Where have the wheels fallen off so much? Tom Little, oh, he was on Instagram, wasn't he? And Tom Little was talking about it wasn't fair that Callum Smith had four or five weeks to prepare. But from what I understand, the initial discussions with Canelo started in September. And you knew realistically you were one of three options that Canelo had. And it was either you, Caleb Plant, or Billy Joe Saunders. Billy ruled himself out because he said, I need more time to prepare. But you've had since September to be in shape. right? Because Hearn said you were fighting this year and he said you were fighting in December. This has been known for a while. So you could have easily prepared for Canelo. And if it wasn't Canelo, it might have been John Ryder because they were looking for a fight for him. So there isn't really that much difference. You should have been in shape and you should have been ready. This idea that maybe he got injured because he only had four or five weeks to prepare, nah, I'm not buying that, sorry. That's just British boxing trying to circle the wagons and protect themselves. The reality is he's had plenty of time to prepare. You're a professional athlete. You're supposed to be ready to fight. You're a prize fighter. You're supposed to be ready to fight. At any notice. Hearn has been adamant in this. Everyone who boxes, be in shape, be ready. You don't know when you're going to get the phone call. Seemingly other people are able to do it, so I don't think that's an excuse. I'll stand by the fact that his CV suggests that he was never an investment priority for Hearn. And we can ask ourselves why, but it doesn't look like Hearn wanted to spend the money on Callum Smith. Because if you look... It was really the World Boxing Super Series that boosted Callum Smith's income. Before that, he was struggling. And the Canelo was was probably that last kind of cash-out fight because you wonder if Hearn is going to make um, Callum versus John Ryder. So Callum becomes this victim of two things, I think, that are incredibly unfair. Number one is that he's been shelved for great periods of time. So if you look between the Ryder fight and this fight, he was on the shelf for over a year. And then there was another period of time. It might have been just before the World Boxing Super Series. I think after the Luke Blackledge fight, he was on the shelf again. And you know what I mean, Doug? You're you're 20-something fights in. You're not even a veteran where you could probably take a year off and not lose anything. And not only that, but your CV is not even that stacked that you've built up an amazing body of work. At a time when Hearn should have been putting money into you, putting you on probably every card going, like he did with Joshua... He, he chose not to. Maybe he didn't believe in you that much. Or, as is probably the case, maybe you're too expensive to, to work with. And Hearn's now approaching what I call the, the middle management dilemma. So in most big companies, when profits are down and costs are rising, you always look at that tier of middle managers. You know the guys who are earning between 55 and 75K? And they don't mind because a lot of them have paid off their mortgages or they're close to it. And they love earning the 70k a year plus the 8k a year car allowance, right? And they just coast. They've been doing the job for 15 years. They're all right. Leave them alone. They'll leave you alone. So most companies get rid of those guys. They just make them redundant and say it's cheaper to get rid of them now. And to let the, the young blood come through and rise up. And generally that's what happens because these guys become too expensive to maintain. And they actually end up slowing progress down. And I think Hearns realized that with the stable. So if you look at the guys who are kind of sat on the shelf, you're Liam Smiths. Uh, Kel was basically on Eddie's shelf as well until he went off and got his own hustle. So then you've got Josh Warrington as well. John Ryder to a lesser extent because I think he can compromise on money. But you can work these guys out. The guys who are... They're not quite pay-per-view as standalone fighters but they're also not guys you can pay 30 grand a fight to. right? So Warrington, you've got to pay six figures. Galahad, you've got to pay six figures. That's why you don't really see them. Because the economics of boxing right now don't make sense to have these guys on. They're guys who sell out arenas. They don't do amazing pay-per-view numbers. So if the show doesn't make sense economically, Hearn's not going to do it. But you can do it in America because Josh Warrington in America doesn't have to worry about selling out the arena because he'll be on the other side. The Americans will take care of that and he'll make more money. It's a bigger boxing market. There's more money. And that's why the Americans are able to get their guys out in a way that we're not able to at the moment. More shows, better shows, because they have a bigger market. We don't. Boxing's not a big sport here. When you take away the, the audience participation and attendance, it's not a big sport. So Callum Smith, having lost now, is an expensive option for Eddie. Because now you're like, well, I'm going to have to pay him like half a mil or maybe even like 300k to fight. Where am I going to get 300k when Sky only put in about a quarter mil for every show? You see where the economics don't make sense to have these guys in your stable now. And if you look at the current climate, it doesn't look like we're going to have full arenas in the next 12 months. It looks like we're probably going to go back to what we had before. Best case scenario, 1,000 indoors, and then they'll bring it up to 2,000, and that'll be like on a two-monthly basis. So maybe you'll get to four, 5,000. It's still not economically viable to have these guys fight. So what do you do if you're Warrington? You're a guy who's got an impeccable CV. Now you've got to start taking risks. Do you go off and fight Gary Russell Jr.? Do you go off and fight Shakur Stevenson on unfavorable terms? You might have to to feed your family. Hearn's not really that interested. Hearn's just interested in what he can do with guys like Joshua, and Hearn has always said this: he only cares about the pay-per-view events. He doesn't care about guys trying to make a living. So those guys in that middle tier are going to struggle, and I think you're going to start seeing guys like Boatsy creep into that, where it becomes a bit too expensive to have him unless he's on a Joshua undercard. I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. Maybe you can do a Craig Richards fight because we know Hearn has never shown Craig any love and I don't understand why. His most faithful soldier, his most reliable guy to go out there and risk it. Craig ducks nobody. And he won't invest in Craig Richards. He lets Craig go and fight on McHennessy's show. I'd quite like to see Callum Smith, if he goes up to 175, put him in with Craig Richards. That's what I'd like to see because I think Craig beats him. I think Craig beats him down. I think Craig Richards would end Callum Smith's career. That's what I'll say. I think Boatsy could do the same. I think Yard could do the same. I think Lyndon Arthur could do the same. After what I saw on Saturday, at 175, Callum has a lot of convincing to do because I wasn't impressed with what I saw. That looked like just above British level. But the deepest question to ask is, how much of this is down to Callum? How bad does Callum want to be great? To what extent is this a calling and to what extent is it a job for Callum Smith? And that's the only—that's question only he can answer. Because his 27 fight resume is poor. By anyone's standards, it's poor. It's, it's, it's atrocious, in fact. For someone as talented and as gifted as he is, it's, it's pretty bad. He hasn't tried to challenge himself. You see guys like Jermaine Brown and Umar Sadiq go out there to challenge themselves because they're trying to grow. You see a boxers paying for themselves to fight because they believe in themselves. And meanwhile, you've got Callum Smith sat at home waiting for the phone to ring. How badly does he want to be great? Don't know. On his performances, you'd say, I think he's okay just kind of hustling and living out of this thing. Doesn't care how often he fights. As long as he gets paid well enough that he doesn't have to worry about money. And if that's your motivation, fair enough. But as a fan, that turns me off. And as fans, you should be asking yourself, do I want to subsidize this? Is this going to help me build up my memory bank of boxing? I don't think it will. I just don't. And promoters need to start looking at that and saying, look, if you're not hungry to be great, I can't help you. Because that's what I saw on Saturday. I saw a guy who was just happy to show up, get his money and go home. But it's also on you boxing fans to realise that year after year, you're fed this nonsense about boxers being better than they are. And you buy into it continuously. And you'll start spinning narratives and stories about how you think this guy is underrated. and Our guys aren't that good. Start and end of it. They're not that good. The reason we get away with things, is like the Premier League. We generate so much money as a sporting market that we never leave these shores. And it's not until we come up against other good teams from other places that we realize we're not that good. That's why we're a mediocre footballing side. And then when you measure it against the money we have and the number of people we have playing football, it's embarrassing that we're so mediocre. And it's the same thing with boxing. We're mediocre by design because we have a culture that values mediocrity because they think it's being humble and they think it's being modest. We don't like the guys who tell us they're the best. you know. For all of Tunde Jai's faults, and there are many, at least he's got the balls to say, I want to be the greatest trainer of all time. Now, whether he gets there, I don't know. But let, let him live his dream, or in some cases, let him live his delusion. But we don't like that in this country. We, we like people to, to be mediocre, because then they're plucky. They're the plucky underdog. That's the problem. So when people talk about Callum Smith being from a good family, and they always talk about stuff that's irrelevant in a fight. He's from a good family. Adam Smith will say that. He's got seven GCSEs. He got an A star for woodworking because he made his nan, you know, a set of shelves and they're still standing now. That's testament to his craftsmanship because he's a craftsman in the ring. That's the sort of nonsense that people buy into. And they'll go to the book he's based on that. And they'll get on a plane and go to America to watch someone based on that. You know, people genuinely thought Ricky Hatton could beat Floyd Mayweather. They thought Ricky Hatton could beat Pacquiao. And they went on a plane to do that. There's nothing in Ricky Hatton's life that indicates he could even come close to those guys. And British fans buy it because we're not that intelligent as sports fans. We never have been. We never will be. We're not that intelligent. We're easily impressed by nonsense. You know... The Callum Smith thing's evidence of that. He hasn't earned the right to have the public's affection. He hasn't earned the right to be number one in the division. Benavides has a far better record than he does. Caleb Plant has a far better record. Man, Benavides went through guys like Dennis Duglin, and people go, oh, who's Dennis Duglin? Duglin's better than everything on Smith's CV except for George Groves and Canelo. You know, Durrell. He's, I mean, Benavides is the guy at 168, always was. Him and Canelo probably need to fight, while Smith needs to work out what's important to him. Because based on that, I don't want to see another Smith fight. If Smith can't give me a devastating knockout against someone of his of his level or better, then meh, I don't care. Nor do I care about Eddie Hearn conning the fans into you know what I mean? into these little flips like oh this guy's amazing, he's this, he's that. Him and Coogan Cassius every Monday every Monday that stupid 50 minute interview they do that's just full of misdirection and distorted facts and distorted reality and you go and they're, they're all in cahoots they're all in cahoots and then the numbers get massaged so they look like they're bigger than they are it's embarrassing like when you get the numbers of Eddie Hearn's BBC podcast and you're like hold on he had my Jammer on there and he's still doing slightly better than I do Slightly better than I do. <laughs> you give me my jam on this podcast, and I quadruple my numbers comfortably. Because this is what I do. I don't promote. It's not my thing. Steve Goodwin will tell you that promoting is not my thing. But we need to start holding guys like Hearn to account so he can't keep conning us with these rehashed fights Danny Jacobs versus Gabe Rosado, Golovkin versus who even cares? This is what's killing boxing because these guys are getting paid without having to challenge themselves. These guys are getting paid without having to be good because boxing fans are too scared to turn off the TV screen in case they can't tweet about it. You've all become prisoners to Twitter. Because had you not been prisoners to Twitter, you wouldn't give two shits what Callum Smith did. Let's be brutally honest. We all accepted a long time ago his career was going nowhere. And all this back-the-Brit stuff, ah, whatever. But that, that's it for me, and I know people want to know, okay, what's next for everyone? Um, if Callum Smith goes to 168, it's Riders, Billy Joe. If he goes to 175, you will get Spider-Richards, Boatsy, and then they'll look to move him up against those American guys like Joe Smith Jr., Shawnee Monahan, Marcus Brown, and so forth. That's what I think will happen, and then he'll just retire. Joe Gallagher, Joe Gallagher will keep his guys because... Joe Gallagher is not Nigerian, so people aren't going to insist his fighters leave him because he's clueless. That's the cold, hard reality. We can't say Joe's modest and he's quiet. He's not. Joe fights for his boxers. And yeah, I respect that about him. He's vocal, he's loud, he's abrasive. You know, this is a guy they called Tesco Joe. They called him dog shagger. They called him this, that, and the third. And I still don't see the, the groundswell of opinion for. Callum Smith to leave him. I don't see people saying Liam Smith should leave him in the same way they vilified Tunde Ajayi. And I'm going to zero in on the Yard-Kovalev fight for this one because after that, that's exactly what people were saying. Now, the gap in ability and experience between Yard and Kovalev is vast. On paper, it's huge. The gap between Canelo and Smith on paper, nowhere near as big. Yet, I believe Tunde got a better performance out of his guy than Joe Gallagher did. Yet, people are still saying, Ah, Yash should leave Tunde. But yeah, Karen can stay with Joe. Joe's alright. If Joe Gallagher was Nigerian and he was on this channel and that channel, which actually he is, people would be saying something different. And I'm not trying to hear any counter-arguments because everyone had their chance to have the same energy and they chose not to. That's the harsh reality of this. And I come back to what I said before, when I defended Tunde I said this, it's never just as easy as leaving a trainer, particularly when you started the journey with that person. When they're embedded in your family and they are part of who your family identity is and they are part of your formative years, you don't get rid of them. There's a spiritual bond there you'll never recreate with someone. You'll never fight as hard for another trainer as you will for that guy that believed in you and invested in you. So I told people at the time, I don't think Yard should leave Tunde. And I'm going to say I don't think Callum Smith should leave Joe Gallagher. I think it's on Tunde and I think it's on Joe Gallagher to become better trainers and to become better people. But they probably already know that anyway. Meanwhile, Callum Smith has to find that in himself. While Canelo now establishes himself as a pound for pound number one. And I can't entertain any other argument to the contrary because this guy's gone up and down in weight. He's done, he's done what was meant to be theoretical in real life. That makes him pound for pound number one because he actually is. That's all there is to it. Not not Crawford not Spence. Inouye, maybe. But Inouye doesn't really move up and down the weights. Whereas Canelo does. So, let's see what happens. Let's see if the discussion starts to go in a more sensible direction because I am bored of boxing fans losing leave of their senses and just talking nonsense because they just want to live out their fantasies. Like, like, what's up what they think is important? Oh, come on, man. Just stop. Canelo's pound for pound number one. He's the cash cow in boxing. That's why Hearn dare not leave him. That's why Hearn got his tentacles in. And if you listen to the rhetoric from before, it's why Hearn never got involved in the beef with DAZN. Because he was playing that game against Oscar where he was like, I'm going to take Oscar's best guys. I'm the number one man at DAZN. And respect to Eddie for for hustling that. He had the foresight to realise that Oscar would shoot himself in the foot and as long as he stayed away from the from the from the blast site, there'd be rich pickings to have. And I expect Hearn and Canella to work again at some point. Not necessarily fighting British guys, but why wouldn't you? Like Canella needs that English language guy for him. So fair play to, to Hearn for getting that. Because now he's insulated himself from the Joshua risk. So if something did happen to Joshua, Eddie's got another cash cow. Very, very smart man. And should do wonders for his negotiations with Sky. So, massive respect to Eddie for that. Uh, I don't often give him praise, but he's pulled off some really smart moves recently. So, fair play to him. So, let's see what 2021 brings. Like, as this shoot off, I don't know how many more there'll be between now and the end of the year. So, bear with me. There might be more, there might not be. But, you know, we'll keep doing this, man. We've, we've had a fantastic 2020. There's no question about that. So, if there, if there are a few more to squeeze out, We'll see what happens. Take care, guys. And hopefully for the guys in tier four, you get to see your families. And guys in all the other tiers, I also pray you get to see your families. And hopefully no one is spending Christmas on their own because this isn't the time to spend Christmas on your own. And I'm not going to be a guy to encourage civil disobedience. So all I can say is as individuals, you know what the right thing to do is and you will do what you think is right. And I hope everyone finds... A place to be happy and surrounded by loved ones over Christmas. I genuinely mean that, guys. Take care.